This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the $100 is Zach Ferran. He's a 22-year-old Apple employee, and he's listening to the show and loving it. For your chance to win 100 bucks every Monday, simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes now, and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you did it to enter. Okay, many of you heard I made a big league acquisition of a company called Send Later. And I'm a greedy business guy. I didn't want to give away equity to a technical co-founder. So I found my coders on a website called Toptal at NathanLatka.com forward slash T-O-P-T-A-L. I paid over $12,000 to the site to a guy named He Shiming in China, who I've never met, but we're going to build a big business together. I'm taking Send Later public by the time I turn 30. I'll tell you more about Toptal later on in this episode. Top Tribe, this is episode 414. Coming up tomorrow morning, you'll hear from Nora Rochetta. He runs a phone accessory company and hit $2.5 million in revenue in 2015. Top Tribe, good morning. Our guest today is Michael Litt. He is the co-founder and CEO of the leading video marketing platform, Vidyard. While he's not bringing leading video-based technologies to market, he serves as general partner of Garage Capital, a seed-staged fund focused on super cluster companies looking to expand their networks into Silicon Valley. He also sits on the Communitech board of directors, a KW based organization designed to help companies start, grow and succeed. Michael, are you ready to take us to the top? I am ready. Thanks for having me. Let's just, okay. So you started off at, at, at research in motion. Now you're at Vidyard. Uh, fill in real quick. Was research in motion where you started out of school? No, actually, uh, the University of Waterloo has a co-op program where you do four months of school and four months of work all the way until you graduate. So it, it kind of shakes out to two and a half years of professional work experience by the time you, you finish. So Research in Motion was uh, a year of that co-op experience for me. Okay. And so how old are you now? I'm 29. 29. Okay. So, so right when you graduated, I guess 21, 22, what'd you do right out of school? Yeah, so I started Vidyard during school. Um, oh, very cool. And in fact, yeah, yeah. So I did a, I did five years of high school. I did a, a program called USEP in my fifth year, where I took uh, a bunch of my uh, final year high school classes and some first year university classes while I was still enrolled in high school. And that kind of leapfrogged me into my university career. The co-op program is a five-year program. I took six years to finish it because I failed a term because I was starting a company so, you know, the by the time way to I fail, actually right? graduated, oh yeah, I, I love <laughs> failure. I, I love failing. It was the best feeling ever, but uh, <laughs> it is a retrospect, but uh, I didn't actually graduate until I was 25. So we built the company in undergrad in our fourth year of engineering. It was our undergraduate thesis project. And uh, when you say we, you mean, you mean you and Devin? You got it. Yep. Very cool. So what is the, I noticed like when I look at what you've done, you also have some other things in here, like co-founder of Redwoods Media, things like that. Did you use the agency to kind of identify what you should build video software around? Yeah. So uh, through the co-op program, working at BlackBerry, working at Cypress Semiconductor, I had contracted a bunch of businesses to produce video for those companies to help explain 
our products for installation tutorials, for marketing videos, for sales content. And it was very clear that there was a need for this in the industry and I had some contacts. So we decided let's build this company. Let's create some videos for these businesses and you know, we can live happily ever after and be entrepreneurs. We were both passionate about video. I had made a bunch of video in high school mm-hmm. um, as a freestyle skier to try to gather sponsorships. And so we had the skill set, and that's what we set up to do. So Redwoods Media was that first company. We started that during my fourth and final year of university. Um, again, that was actually my sixth year given the co-op program. And uh, we were off to the races. We set a target of $50,000 in sales by Christmas Eve 2010. <laughs> that was Project Christmas. We barely scraped that together. But since we hit that goal, we knew that, you know, that we didn't have to go you look for jobs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we had both, I mean, we had opportunities to work at Google and McKinsey and ultimately decided to scrap those and start the company instead. Because again, we were just passionate about this opportunity with video and through manufacturing these videos for companies, that's when we realized there was an opportunity to build some technology to host and manage and, and analyze the success of our content. And that ultimately led to the Eureka moment with Vidyar. Yeah. And I'll pull that out real quick as a lesson to folks. I see so many people that start small agencies like this and, and they use it as a way to figure out what software to build. So Michael, like you've done with video, whether it was your for self or skiing or other people that allowed you to kind of figure out what to build into Vidyard. So take us there now. What is Vidyard and how do you make money? Yeah. So Vidyard is what we call a video platform for business. And so we help businesses communicate with video, whether that's through marketing, uh, for sales, for internal communications. And we've got technologies that, that kind of match those needs accordingly. And so we make money by selling that technology to businesses on a subscription basis. Got it. So you, we have customers, you know, spanning the gamut of price point, you know, from a couple hundred bucks a month all the way up to, you know, well north of millions of dollars per year. And it just depends on the scale and the use case. Michael, what's, what's your average per month? Did you say average revenue per user per month? Average revenue per user per month. Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. And we only think about it by year. I'll just do the backwards math. Do you um, think, if we, if we think average, about it yearly, uh, let's do it yearly. Yeah, sure. Uh, yearly is kind of in the 20 to 30 range. Okay. So 30, 30 grand per customer. This is, you know, when I talk to SaaS companies and we've had hundreds of them on the show, a lot of times there's always the threshold of when you can actually bring on an inside sales team relative to price point. I imagine at 30 grand, you know, average, you have an inside sales team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's pretty key. So it's, it's interesting. I'm sure if you think about the SaaS companies you've talked to, a lot of them do not start at an average price point of $30,000 per year, you know, they start at like $500 per year and work their way up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason why you work your way up is you build more technology, you build more value. Therefore you can value based price it to a higher, higher price. Um, but that also allows you to do things like build an inside sales organization with, you know, a front end SDR program an outbound BDR program, a demand SDR program, is sales then, development rep, just for those, those folks that don't know. Yeah, you got it. And they handle inbounds BDRs. They do purely outbound. Um, and then those opportunities get flipped to account executives. And in our business, they exist in four separate categories. So we have the SME business unit. We have the mid-market business unit. We have large enterprise. Large enterprise cutoff is businesses making over a billion dollars in revenue or more. Uh-huh. And we have key accounts, which are similar sized businesses, but key logos, really strategic initiatives. And the average price point you know, between those groups varies wildly. And uh, it's it's great to have that segmentation, but that's a pretty recent thing for us. And how big is your team? Total, total people. We are 132 today. Uh, and just for reference, I, I was actually looking at this yesterday. 
just for some growth metrics this end of the board. And uh, a year ago, 12 months ago, we were uh, just shy of 70. So it's been a pretty significant growth year for yeah, us. It's a, wise. it's a big threat, you know, going for your first 10 employees and your first 50, then your first 100, all kinds of healthcare stuff, all kinds of growth pains, right? Yeah, you know what? They're not, I, I, I don't want to call them growth pains. I think they're opportunities to learn about growing, but, you know, there certainly are some painful moments. Uh, in that process. And again, they're always just opportunities to learn. So let's take Let's go back for a second, because some of the again, we've had hundreds of SaaS folks on. And one thing where my audience tends to get confused is when we have negative revenue churn. Right. So ProsperWorks came on in a, in a few episodes where they have negative one percent monthly uh, churn. And that become that comes from upselling, which you just touched on, where users start at maybe 500 bucks per month or per year. Then you casually upsell them. Walk us through. Yeah. Walk us through for for you guys. What is your gross churn from a customer perspective, monthly or annually? And then the same question for the revenue churn. Yeah, and and what I'll actually say is a, as, a, as a disclaimer to all this, something that I realized actually about two years ago is if you talk about it in terms of retention, uh-huh. not in terms of churn, you don't have to do the double negative thing, right? Because negative churn is a positive thing. But it's two negative words and people always get confused in it. So we yeah. actually look at growth retention and net retention. Let's do that. And then. it's a percentage basis of your entire customer base. Right. So, you know, our growth retention target per year is 95%. So that is if like discounting all upsells and just looking at the base of customers we enter a year with from a revenue basis, we want to retain 95% of that revenue in the year. And yeah. that's an organization wide metric. Our net retention numbers, including upsell, are in the 130 to 135% per year. So what that means is if we were to shut down all of our new business acquisition programs and just focus on working with our customers, delivering new technologies and upselling them, our business would grow at 30 to 35% year over year. That's such an important, Michael. A lot of people don't understand what you just articulated. And you know, when I did it with my last SaaS company, I just, I didn't know how to do it other than walking in one day to the team. And I said, guys, we're gonna do an exercise today. It's a brainstorm session. It's an emergency. Facebook doesn't exist anymore. Google ads don't exist anymore. We cannot acquire any new customers. So I'm going to force us to think about if we only have our current customer base, how do we grow over the next year? And what you've just articulated is you guys have a pretty good plan where you're growing 35% or 100, you know, 130, expanding revenue by 35% year over year with the exact same customer base. Is that accurate? You got it. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. So very cool. So gross, uh, gross revenue retention annually, 95% net retention in terms of revenue year over year is about 135%. That's exciting. Um, I imagine with the amount of funding, you well, actually, how much funding have you guys raised? Uh, we're just shy of 70 million. 70, 70. Okay. So 70 million bucks raised. I imagine if you've raised that much capital, you pr- have a pretty good grasp on what your customer acquisition costs are. Yes, absolutely. I mean, so our, our, our target payback, and again, we're kind of in a growth phase is a year and a half. Okay. So, so target payback is a year and a half. So what are you spending on average to acquire the customer? Yeah. So with an average, average, and again, so what we're doing now, interestingly enough, is it gets more complex at this stage. We start to segment out through groups, right? So our SME customers, small, medium enterprise, you know, they're not spending 20 to 30 per year. And so our acquisition cost for them has to be much cheaper. It's just a side note, but on a blended perspective. Yeah. If our average customer is, you know, $30,000 per year and we have a year and a half payback target, that means that we're spending $45,000 to acquire them. Yep. Yep. And what is the, what is the average total lifetime value of that customer? How many years are they staying with you on average? I know this is tough because you're extrapolating data in an assumption cell, but what's your guess? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because we, yeah, we use the formula. We use the standard formula for CLTV. Give it to everyone um, real quick just so be, they understand. Oh, shit. I don't know off the top of my head. I know. <laughs> is it, I, you do the one divided, by churn, one divided by churn or one divided by your retention <sighs> number, then multiplied times ARPU? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And, okay. and, and the, yes, you're absolutely right. And, there, and the interesting thing about it is because our retention number, and it's your gross retention number you use, not your net retention number, is technically so high. What it spits out is like ludicrously large LTVs. Yep. So our LTVs are like, you know, for an average size customer of $30,000 per year are in like the six to nearly seven figure range. Yep. And, you know, is that realistic? We don't really know. So we don't, we don't actually use it as a heuristic in our business and our board doesn't actually want us to because, you know, if you, if you do focus on that, you can start to feel really comfortable about your customer base and then you can start to like neglect customer success and services and onboarding to some degree. And, you know, I think people do that. And then all of a sudden they get caught with their pants down. A big customer cohort starts to not renew because they weren't onboarded appropriately. And then your LTV swings significantly in the direction in a specific quarter. And it's just that it's a bad heuristic for our business. I think it's much more valuable in like, very low acquisition cost businesses that have high turnover rates. So something that's like really focused on an SMB or a consumer, like an intercom, you know, I imagine intercom has like pretty high churn rates, but also like really high growth rates. And so LTV is a much more accurate metric for them to track. Yep. Yeah, this is always tricky because people will put in the assumptions in the Excel sheet and it will spit out like some ridiculous dollar amount in lifetime value. But the reason I try and get to that is so that I can then ask the CEOs, is there a ratio that you like to keep in terms of lifetime value to customer acquisition costs? Usually it's three to one or something, but it sounds like you're doing something different, which I actually like better, which is payback period. And it sounds like you've got about a year and a half payback period. Yeah, I think, I think payback period, as long as you are fully loading your CAC. So, you know, you, you cannot ignore the cost of salaries and I've seen people do a whole bunch of different things. So, you know, historically actually, and this may be an interesting backdrop is, is box, right? When they, when they host someone's files for free, in my opinion, that's a customer acquisition that cost, is cost because you're yep. paying, you're, you're paying to store that content, but you know, they file that away as, as a cog cost of goods sold, not as acquisition costs, which lowers their CAC artificially to some degree. Yep. And there's, there's multiple ways of doing this and thinking about this in your business. The way we do it is we're like, look, we want to be honest with ourselves. There's no reason to lie about this. We're not a public company. You know, it's let's just make sure we're fully loaded so that when we go out, as an IPO at some point, you know, our universe and are sound. And so, yeah. yeah, so we fully load everything, all salaries. If you even like speak the word customer once in your career, you get loaded into that CAC profile. And, uh, you know, we always work to keep that year and a half payback period. So we're, you know, really optimizing our marketing programs or spend, et cetera. Michael, let me under, cause again, like you articulated, some people only include the direct money they're putting through Facebook for Facebook ads or Google. Other people include the salaries some people on a fully diluted basis will include even like what's the desk toss the cost that the salesperson sits at and what's the rent per salesperson, all that. Are you guys that fully loaded? Do you include things like hard, hard costs too? Soup nuts, man. Everything. Awesome. That's awesome. So you basically take your whole GNA line, divide that by total number of new customers per month. And that's your, you know, CAC. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, R and D does not get included. Okay. Except um, R and D for one. Yeah. And, uh, and, ops to some degree as well, like HR and those types of functions and stuff. So okay. yeah, anything that is, is in the go-to-market realm gets included in, in, the, uh, in the CAC breakdown. Okay. So give us a sense of size where you're at. You launched this five, six years ago. How many total customers are you serving as of, what is it, August 2016? 
Yeah, so we, we don't talk about those numbers. Obviously, as a private company, we you know want to hold that stuff close to our chest for competitive and, and investment reasons. Um, but what I can tell you is, you know, we we recently closed our Series C. We talked a little bit about the unit economics of the business. It's sound. Um, the 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 model that we're essentially employing is if we can from first year of sales forwards triple the business, second year of sales forwards triple the business again. And then do three consecutive doubles. Wait, 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 Michael. I don't you know, follow you there. I don't understand that. <laughs> say that again. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So first year of sales, you go from, say, zero to a million dollars in revenue. Yep. Then if you can go from a million to three, and then three to nine, and this is ARR. Yep. Then you can go from nine to 18, 18 to 36, 36 to 72. That growth trajectory is, and these are in millions of dollars, is a leading indicator of the size of your market and essentially your opportunity to potentially go public and be received as an IPOable company. As long as you keep your unit economics, your CAC payback, and all the other things, growth retention, net retention numbers and stuff in check. And so that's the model that we employ. And we're somewhere inside of that growth curve. Yep. But I highly encourage you know, people who are listening to this podcast, if your plan is to build a fast growth, high value business, think about the triple, triple, double, double, double and try to build the economics, your growth trajectory, your fundraising patterns and stuff around that model. Because it's something that if you look at Tom Tungus' blog and all the S1 profiles he's done yep. on, on public companies, it's a very common model that the best in breed follow. Michael, like, what was that guy's very, name? Very closely. What was that guy's Tom name? Tungus. Tom, Tom Tungus. Tom Tungus. Can you Skype me just a link to whatever his blog is after? I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, it's T-O-M-T-U-N-G-U-Z.com. Great. Great, great, great. Cool. Okay, very good. So, so customer information, I understand you want to keep that private. Give us a sense like historically. So first year you said you did Operation Christmas, right? You barely hit your, your 50 grand mark. What was, last year, what was last year's revenue, 2015? Or, or if you want to be more private, go a year back further. Yeah, you know what? Still, still, it's it's uh, as long as we're booking revenue, we're 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 gonna keep that close to our chest because it has an impact on, you know, what our path could eventually look like. Which I know is super super boring. That's okay, Michael. Um, more or less, oh, oh. more or less than thirty million ARR. <laughs> give me a, like a give me a range that is so vague, like there's no way it's a competitive threat. We're between zero and a hundred. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. But what I will tell you is, you know, our our first actual year of sales, you know, we broke through that million dollar ARR mark. Got it. And uh, that was, you know, that's that's tough. That zero to one spot is tough. And what I will say is, you know, one to ten is even tougher. Uh, it, you know, it, it's it it can be a grind. And as soon as you're trying to put the uh, the aggressive growth metrics on track, uh, it uh, you know it's something that will consume your life. But it is an adventure and it's worth pursuing. So Mike, you know, Michael, do you guys celebrate the listeners of this podcast to really push for it? Do you guys celebrate Christmas at the office? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we have a holiday party as is, you know, uh, modern to the point, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I grew up celebrating Christmas. And so, you know, for us, for, for Dan, my co-founder and I, uh, project Christmas is, is, is a very meaningful thing that we always reflect on. And interestingly enough, um, that period of time is always a big time for us. We raised our series a just before Christmas. It literally closed on Christmas Eve. <laughs> our awesome. series B also closed on Christmas Eve and our series C Interestingly enough, closed on January 4th, which is Christmas, which really sucked because we were sitting on pins and needles and obviously the economy and the public yep. markets were doing really crazy stuff during that time. And so that period of time, you know, which is another kind of key lesson learned is, is if you're raising money, doing it in the fall is a really great period of time because investors think on an annual basis, they have a certain amount of deals they want to do. And if they haven't done deals, they want to get them done before, before their vacations, the right? <laughs> before they're with their family before on their Christmas. <laughs> 
Exactly. And, you know, it's either fall or spring. In the summertime, don't even bother. Investors just are not writing checks. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Well, Michael, before we wrap up and get into my favorite part of the show, where's the best place for people to connect with you online if they want to follow your journey? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, you can find me really anywhere. If you want to see what I'm doing personally, Facebook is the place. If I'm just spewing stuff out as Twitter, you know, professionally, you know, I'm making some comments and thoughts and ideas on LinkedIn right now. So you can find me everywhere as with anybody, I'm sure. All right, guys, very quickly, many of you heard I acquired Send Later at NathanLatka.com forward slash Send Later. And here's the thing. I don't want to hire a big team. I'm a business guy, though, so I need developers. So what I did is I found this little website. I found this guy named He Shiming. I paid him over $12,000 to help me keep building this business, which I will take public by the time I turn 30. So it's called Toptal. Okay, and what Toptal does, it's a network of elite pre-vetted software developers. Basically, I told Toptal what I was looking for. They search their network for the best people. They even test the candidates, which saves me time. And then they just said, Nathan, here, use this candidate. They meet your individual needs and boom, I'm off to the races. So once you pick someone on Toptal, you can start working with them the next day. Now, for my people, Toptal's offering a no-risk trial period that you can get at NathanLatka.com forward slash T-O-P-T-A-L. Again, NathanLatka.com forward slash Toptal to get started. This is perfect if you're a business person listening that doesn't know how to incentivize or find a technical co-founder. Go to NathanLatka.com forward slash Toptal and get started building your app now. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, and you came out of nowhere. Your website's growing so fast. How'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator. I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator. And the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin. And guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, you can see Sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45-day money-back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. All right, Top Tribe, we'll link that in the show notes at nathanlacka.com forward slash the top 414. Again, forward slash the top 414. Michael, we're going to rapid fire. This is the wrap-up. It's the famous five. Give me your quick best answers, all right? No, 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 and they're not revenue. These are like easy. These are like softball questions. Okay. Number number one. What's your favorite business book? Uh, Behind the Cloud, Mark Benioff. Yeah, that's a good one. Number two. Is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Oh yes, um, probably also Mark Benioff. Um, you know, trying to look at what was done in the early days there. Also, a big fan of what Nick Meta is doing over at Gainsight. A uh, big fan of Aaron Levy, what he's doing on a box. He's an amazing thought leader. You know, there's there's actually a really long list there. I could keep going. If Mark calls you up today and says, I'm ready to write a $250 million check to acquire Vidyard, do you accept? No. Okay, interesting. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like FreshBooks? Uh, yeah, whew, favorite online tool? Um, Besides your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got, we got a new technology that I've been, I've been, I've been eating up. We haven't launched it yet, but it is absolutely my favorite thing in the world, which is, you know, to be able to build something that's your favorite is pretty incredible feeling. You're, you're such a tease. Do you have something you use besides your own tool? Like, like for productivity or for organization or Gmail, Gmail. That's a good one. All right. Number three, uh, yeah. Or number four. Yes or no. Do you get eight hours of sleep every night? Uh, 
I try to. I don't know if I actually do. I feel like lately I've been tossing and turning. But uh, what I actually do for what it's worth is I set my alarm uh, early enough that I can have a half hour bath every single morning. And this is like a key part of my ritual. Hot or cold? um, What I try to do is hot, hot, always hot, relax, (laughs) chill the fuck out. Um, And then I set my alarm the night before so I can try to get at least eight hours of sleep. So, yeah, I, I, I try to. All right. You're 29. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Married, no kids. No kids. Okay, so last question. Take us back nine years, Michael. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Ooh. Um, well, you know, I, this is actually a really good question. So I'll, be, I'll try to be brief as possible. Uh, it is so, so, so important that if you are an entrepreneur, if you're going to go down this journey, that you surround yourself with people that can support and love and care for you no matter what. Because what you're doing... Vidyard, whatever company it is, is actually finite. It is not going to last the rest of your life, but those relationships are. Focus on those relationships and find somebody who like loves and cares for you altruistically and understands the finiteness of what you're doing so they can support you for your entire life and vice versa. And I found that in my wife and partner, and I cannot you know, begin to emphasize how important that is to me and how important it should be to you as well. Top tribe. There you have it from Michael, the CEO of Vidyard. Care about the people you are building these companies with. Companies don't last, but the relationships do. He's founded Vidyard. They've raised $70 million. He's coy as hell when it comes to customer numbers, so beat the hell out of him on Twitter. But but besides that, they've got ARPUs of about $2,500 per month. Uh, They have a one and a half year payback period of forty. Five grand on the customer acquisition cost. Thirty-six, uh, sorry, uh, one hundred thirty-two employees, and you're based in Toronto, right, Michael? Uh, we're actually in Waterloo. Waterloo. Well, tough tribe. There you have, there you have it, Michael. Thanks for taking us to the top. Yeah. All right. Cheers, man. Thank you. Top Tribe, if you enjoyed Michael today, go back and listen to Mathilde Collin yesterday. She runs a SaaS business that has raised $13 million and last month did $242,000 in monthly recurring revenue. She's reinventing business email. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks every Monday.